This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. We're going to be looking now at not might but Christ reaching hearts in today's culture. Recently, I was down in the country of Costa Rica. How many of you have been to Costa Rica before? Awesome. Very good. Beautiful, beautiful country. I especially enjoyed the mangoes there. Beautiful place. And I remember working with a small church there. Now, when I first arrived at Costa Rica and I was doing the prophecy seminar, they took us around to to various churches and they were letting our group know where we're going to be. And and I remember praying to God, God, I don't want to have just the typical nice church experience. I want to rough it. I want to have the missionary experience. And the Lord gave me the desires of my heart. I ended up preaching in a warehouse. Okay, it's an open warehouse. And every night, my attendance included dogs, roosters. There was a toad that liked to swim in our baptismal tank. Right? So it was, it was always, always an adventure. I remember meeting one church member by the name of Freddie. Freddie had these bright blue eyes that you just could not miss. And he was the church member that, that you loved to have. The one that was there early every night and setting up the chairs. The one that was helping with the audio equipment. The one that was greeting guests as they arrived. The church member you dream of, right? But I noticed every night he would come with his young daughter, about 10 years old, but never with a wife. And I remember asking someone, isn't Freddie married? How come his wife doesn't attend? And they told me, Rosa? Oh, she will never step foot in an Adventist church. Really? No, she will not even attend social events. She wants nothing to do with Adventism. Again, now picture this man who loves the Lord with all his heart. This man who is actively involved in evangelism, and yet his own home is split. His own wife wants nothing to do with what he holds most dear. The church members had been praying some time for Rosa and, and trying to connect with her. And I remember one night during the seminar, I'm preaching from up front, and I see a woman walk into the seminar holding a little baby in her arms. And she goes and sits down next to Freddie. That night as I'm greeting guests as they leave, Freddie came up to me and introduced his wife, Rosa. You see, their baby was sick. And they didn't know what to do, and the baby wasn't getting better. And so she brought the baby to receive healing. She said, can you pray for my baby? Pray that he gets better. We prayed for her child, but beyond that, the church members reached out and embraced Rosa, quite literally. They were all coming by and building that relationship and just encouraging her. In fact, one person was helping to get the medical needs met for her little baby. The next night of the prophecy seminar, guess who was there? Rosa. And from then on out, every night of the seminar, Rosa was there with her family. The very last night of the seminar, Rosa came to me and she said, Carissa, I decided I want to be baptized. How beautiful it is to know that this family of four is now united in Jesus Christ no longer split, and yet now they can be passionate together about sharing the gospel that they love. Why did it happen? Friendship evangelism. 
coming close to people in their time of need, meeting that need and sharing Christ. That's where the power is today. Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, today we are seeking to know your method. Lord, we want to reach hearts in our community. Father, soften our own hearts first and teach us how to reach others is our prayer for your name's sake. Amen. What is the role of relationships in witnessing? We read in Desire of Ages, page 151 to 152, it says, Jesus reached the hearts of people by going among them as one who desired their good. He sought them. In order for us to reach all classes, we must meet them where they are. They will seldom seek us of their own accord. So who is doing the seeking here? Jesus, which means we are. He sought them. Ministry of Healing, page 143. We are told that Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. How many methods? Just one. Christ's method alone. Do we want to experience true success? Absolutely. It will only come as we apply Christ's method. So what was it? We are told that the Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs, thus winning their confidence. And then he bade them, follow me. He built that friendship. He built that connection. And then he could say, follow me. Give me some examples of when Jesus mingled with men. When did he mingle with men? All the time. Yes, absolutely. Give me some examples. The woman at the well. Absolutely. He's meeting her deepest needs. What else? The man at the pool of Bethesda. Absolutely. Good. Okay, so connecting with Peter, you were, I'm going to now make you a fisher of men. Good. Very good. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Whereas the Pharisees didn't even want their shadow to come across them. And he says, no, I'm going to eat your food. Come that close to you. What else? Yes. Good, okay. He came close to him yet again. What about Nicodemus? Was Jesus mingling with him? We might have looked at Nicodemus and said, oh, he's just green fruit. But God saw his deep needs of his heart. Sure, he would like to meet him out in public, but instead Jesus knew this was the only way that he would be receptive to the gospel. Yes. The marriage feast. Good. Okay, absolutely. Turning the water into wine. Were they going to die of thirst? No. So why did he work the miracle? Certainly it was, it was symbolic. But it was also building connections. He's mingling with them and coming close to them, building those relationships. Great examples. All right, so here are the three steps in evangelism. The first step in our evangelism cycle, make friends. And yet people say evangelism is hard. The first step of evangelism, make friends. Mingle with people. Get to know what their needs are. And as we meet those needs like Jesus did, we will find the second step. We have won their confidence. 
And third, once we have won the confidence, now we have the opportunity to share God's word. Now, as Adventists, which of these three are we excellent at? Sharing the word. Ask us about the mark of the beast. Ask us about the 2300. Man, I got it down. But are we first making friends? Are we ministering to their needs? Are we winning their confidence before sharing God's word? Recently, I was helping with a seminar in the Roseville area. And at this prophecy seminar, I remember this sweet older lady that was coming, literally dragged by two of her friends. You could tell, again, she's very uncomfortable, doesn't want to be there, but every night they would bring her out. And, and I remember the church members trying to build a relationship with her. And every night I would greet her at the registration table and, and try and just come close to her. After about a week had passed, Diane came to us and she had a gift basket of mandarins. How many of you enjoy mandarins? California has the best mandarins. I hope I'm safe in saying that. Delicious, delicious fruit, right? And so she brings this big basket of mandarins. And, and for us, that was exciting. What does that show about our relationship with her? She, we won her confidence. She's connecting with us. We're building that relationship, right? And so the next night, we returned her little basket with a fresh loaf of banana bread. Such a simple little thing. And yet Diane was shocked. I didn't expect you all to do that. In fact, she started to cry. Not expecting us to care that much about her. And it wasn't long before Diane joined the church through a profession of faith. And you see, how do you take this woman who is terrified and bring her into the family of Christ? It's through loving her. It's through nurturing her. It's through doing those simple things of baking a loaf of bread and just saying, I care about you. We see that Jesus met all types of needs. In John chapter 2, Jesus meets a social need. This is the first miracle that Jesus wrought, and it was what? Turning the water to wine, the wedding at Cana. In John chapter 3, Jesus meets a spiritual need. He meets a man by the name of Nicodemus. He could have told Nicodemus, if you want to know about the gospel, come out in the daylight when I'm preaching it to the multitude. But instead, he saw the needs of his heart. All right, Nicodemus, if that's what it takes, I'll meet you at midnight. I'll meet you in the garden ministering to his spiritual need. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets an emotional need. He meets a woman at the well, a woman who had had five husbands before, a woman that was with her sixth, and yet she was not satisfied until she met the seventh man, Jesus Christ, the only one that could fill the desires of her heart. In John chapter 5 and 6, we see Jesus meeting physical needs. He met the need of the man by the pool of Bethesda, he fed the 5,000. Jesus met every need. Are we doing the same? Are we meeting the social needs in our community? Are we meeting the physical needs in our community? Are we ministering to the emotional needs in our community, thus winning their confidence and giving us an opportunity to share God's word? We are told in Christian service, page 116, go to your neighbors one by one. Come close to them. 
till their hearts are warmed by unselfish interest and love. Come close to them with what type of interest? Unselfish. Can you see a difference? Have you ever met someone before that had an agenda? They want to become friends with you because they know you can get them somewhere. If I become friends with you, you can help me get that job, right? That connection that I need. I have three sisters. I could always tell when a guy had an agenda, he wants to become friends with me because he wants to date my sister, right? How flattering is that? Now, you just go ask my sister out. I don't need to be in the middle, right? And people can tell when we have an agenda. Are we truly meeting their needs? Do we love them? What is our purpose for doing evangelism? Just so we can fill up the pews? Just so that we can increase our tithe base? Are we reaching them with unselfish interest and love? I don't know about you, but I do not have unselfish interest and love in and of myself. It has to be a gift of Jesus Christ. It has to be as he pours his own love through our hearts. It continues. Sympathize with them. Pray with them. Watch for opportunities to do them good. And as you can, gather a few together and open the word of God to their darkened minds. Gather them together. Start those neighborhood Bible study programs. All right, we're going to look at some practical ways to help. And it may seem a little too practical, uh, basic, but yet it makes such a huge difference. Bake bread or cookies. Again, it seems so small, but when you bake that loaf of bread for someone, like I mentioned with Diane, it truly melted her heart. Granted, if you cannot bake, please buy a loaf of bread. We don't want to kill anyone, right? <laughs> but just that little step that shows, hey, I care about you. Visiting the sick, people don't think about how important that is until they're the one on that hospital bed. Just last year when I was in the hospital and having people come and visit me made such an impact for me. Inviting friends home and lastly sharing God's word. Now inviting friends home, so often, uh, as was mentioned earlier, we've, we've lost that gift of hospitality. Have you ever had someone ask you, you're an Adventist. I know you go to church on Saturday, but, but what do you do the rest of the day? You don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this. What do you do? Have you had that question before? My new favorite response is, come and see. Come and see. Come and spend the Sabbath with me. Come and experience it with me. Recently, I met a woman by the name of Heather. Some friends of mine had knocked on her door and offered Bible studies to her, and and Heather was deeply entrenched in spiritualism. But she wasn't satisfied. She was hurting. And so she accepted those Bible studies. My friends would come to me often asking if we could pray together. Because again, imagine how intense it was when you're in someone's home that has given their life to the devil and you're sharing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heather was making little decisions for Jesus Every Bible setting, it wasn't long before she committed her life to him all, all the way. She came to a prophecy seminar and Heather learned the truth about the Sabbath. 
And when she heard the message, she said, it's in the Bible. I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep the word. But you see, she had learned the thou shalt nots. But she didn't know what it meant to have that relationship. And so for her first Sabbath, we decided we want to make it special. And so we invited her over to our house. A group of us young adults were together, and we had the typical Adventist Sabbath, right? Where you have that special meal together, and you have uh, go out on a nature walk, and you're outside, and you're sharing miracle stories, and you have a sundown vespers together, and you're singing together. And, and I remember that night when Heather was going home, she came and told us, I didn't realize the Sabbath could be so much fun. I can't wait to go home and tell my roommate what the Sabbath is really about. Praise God, amen? Praise God, but that's what it means to do friendship evangelism. Come and see. Come and experience the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, all of us have a circle of influence. All of us have people that we are called to reach that someone else cannot. We see this example recorded in Desire of Ages, page 141. John the Baptist directed two of his disciples to Christ. Then one of these, Andrew, found his brother, and he called him to the Savior. Philip was then called, and he went in search of Nathanael. These examples should teach us the importance of personal effort, of making direct appeals to our kindred, our friends, and our neighbors. Come and see. Are we reaching out to those in our circle of influence? I have found time and time again in our AFCO training program, we have students from all different backgrounds, students that used to be drug dealers, students that used to be in, in prison, or even students that grew up in a good Christian home but didn't have that connection with Jesus Christ. And when we send them out on outreach, they almost always meet people that have a similar background. The woman who has been divorced, the woman whose husband has left her, meets someone who just had their husband leave. And now they have an opportunity to share about the healing that they have found in Jesus Christ. I fly a lot um, with my work. And before I book a flight, I am praying to God, God, which seat would you have me to pick? Because God, you know where the ripe harvest is. You know. And I remember one day, uh, this happened this spring, I was flying back from Texas and sitting next to this elderly lady and we started a conversation, uh, just basic conversation about our family and such. And I noticed that she had an emergency alert bracelet on her wrist. Now this stood out to me because at that time, I also had an emergency alert bracelet. And so I started talking with her about it and asking about the situation, and she soon told me that her husband had recently passed away. And less than a month later, her daughter also passed away. She already had health issues, and as you can imagine, losing two close family members that quickly, it just escalated the health issues she already had. And now she was struggling on a lot of medication and just really depressed. At that moment, I, I put my arm up a little bit and I showed her that I also had that band on. And I began to tell her how just a few months earlier, 
I had come back from a long flight, and I started to have difficulty breathing. For about two weeks, the breathing was getting worse and worse and worse, and, and finally I was diagnosed with a pulmonary embolism and a thrombosis in my inferior vena cava. In other words, I had a blood clot in my lung and one near my heart. And in those moments when you're in the hospital at 3 a.m. wide awake because the blood suckers just came by, the nurses, and you're alone with your thoughts and with God, what matters in your life? What's the purpose? What's the focus? What did I live for? And I began to tell her about the peace that I experienced at that time. I began to tell her about the hope that we have in Christ. I began to tell her about the complete healing that he has given to me. And by God's grace, I was able to meet the need that she had. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to find this principle is in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians, and we're looking at chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4. And the Bible tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you see the process here? We go through a trial and God comforts us so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we've received from whom? From God. God comforts us so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we have received from Him. What trials have you experienced in your life? What painful situations have you gone through? What is your testimony? God has given it to you so that you can use that gift to comfort others with the comfort that you have received from God. There is power in your testimony. Use it for the glory of God. So who is in our circle of influence? Our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our acquaintances. Who else can we include in there? Is anyone going to college? Classmates, absolutely. Your teachers, your professors. You've already built that relationship with them. You've already made friends. You've already won their confidence. And so now the third step is to do what? Share the word. Absolutely. Well, what about those of us that may be shy? How do you make friends? How do you build those connections? First step, ask questions. It may sound simple, but people like to talk about themselves. And if you're not a talker, the best way to get out of it is to get someone talking about themselves. Have that grandma start showing you pictures of their grandchildren, right? It'll go on for hours. Ask questions, get to know them, remember their name. 
When you ask someone questions about their life, what does it show them? You care. They're important to you. You value them. Now, my, my father is in law enforcement. There is a difference between asking questions and interrogating. Do you see the difference there, right? Don't interrogate. Where do you live? How long do you live there? Why do you live there? <laughs> a little intense, right, Timothy? <laughs> but asking questions, sharing about yourself, building that relationship. Secondarily, listen, 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 listen. And when you think you've listened enough, listen again. Listen for what's being said, but also for what is not being said. And lastly, share what God has done for you. Recently, I was doing an uh, outreach with a friend of mine, and he was, he was very, very nervous about the whole idea of knocking on doors. And so I said, yeah, I'll come with you. We can do some surveys together. And so we were going door to door. Now, the first door that we came to was the door that every call porter and Bible worker dreads. The door with that big chain link fence with the crazy dogs barking and gnarling inside. Have you been at those doors before? And you're looking at each other and you're wondering who's going to be brave enough to go inside. You're not wanting to do it, right? And I remember thinking, I'm supposed to be helping him. I'm supposed to be the leader here. And I'm trying to remember the story of Daniel and God shutting the lion's mouth. And surely you can shut the, the, doors, the, the mouth of these dogs, right? And so as we're, we're looking at each other and trying to decide who's going to go first, suddenly a woman comes running out of that house. And she's about as mean as her dogs. About as vicious as they are. And she begins to yell at us, what are you doing here? Why are you here? My friend froze. And finally, he said, we're Christians. We want to get Bible studies here. You want one? And tosses a Bible study at her. What do you think her response was? <laughs> get out. Get out. I don't want to get out of here. And so he tried to explain more about the Bible studies. Get out. So what do you do? You get out. But you see, I wasn't done with that conversation. I didn't want to leave it on that note. And you could tell there was hurt there. And so as I am walking away slowly, I'm looking back. And I had noticed that she had a collection of wind chimes in her front yard. Wind chimes are nice. But they're certainly not my hobby. But I could tell it was important to her. So as I'm walking away, I'm listening to her. I look back and I say, that's a beautiful wind chime. I like the colors. She looks at me. Oh, I got that one in Mexico, and a friend gave me that one. And, and she starts to tell me all about her wind chimes. I said, oh, really? As I start walking back, right? <laughs> really? And where'd you get that one? Oh, this friend gave it to me, and that one. Oh, it's beautiful. And, and soon we're talking about how long she's lived in the area. And, and the conversation transfers to those dogs, right? What a cute dog. <laughs> As they're barking and gnarling around our feet. And, and finally, she starts talking about her dogs. And oh, yeah, I've had that one about four years, and that one about six. And, and that one I just got about a month ago when my daughter passed away. Oh, 
I get it now. You see, here's a woman that just lost her daughter. Here's a woman that had just gone through incredible pain. Likely she's asking questions like, God, why? Why did she have to die? Why couldn't you save her? And now two Christians come to her door and say, here's the Bible, take it. Of course her natural response is to put up that wall. Get lost, I don't want it. But by God's grace, we were able to build a connection. By God's grace, we were able to listen to what was truly being said. And because of that connection, we were able to leave her that day a little glow. Does God care when I'm suffering? How did that happen? It's by truly meeting her need, by truly ministering to her. Often when we see people that are mean or angry, we think that, oh, they're not interested. But truly the hurt, those that have been hurt the most are the ones that are the most angry, the most bitter. Love them. Listen to them. Pray for ways that you can reach their heart. Another lesson as we build these relationships is found in Evangelism, page 446. It says, here is a lesson for all our ministers, our call porters, and our missionary workers. When you meet those who, like Nathaniel, are prejudiced against the truth, do not urge your peculiar views too strongly. Talk with them at first on subjects which you can agree. In other words, if I'm sitting down and I'm, I'm eating a nice lunch at GYC and I'm having a good old gluten steak, you may not think twice about it. But if I had my little nine-month-old nephew sitting next to me and I'm feeding him pieces of, of gluten steak, could there be a problem there? Please tell me yes. Absolutely. They're not old enough to eat it. They don't have the teeth to stomach it, right? And it's the same in evangelism. We have so many beautiful truths and we just want to dump it on the world. But remember that they're babies. Give them the milk. Help them to build up to that point of having the meat of the word of God. She continues to bow with them in prayer and in humble faith present your petitions at the throne of grace. Both you and they will be brought into a closer connection with heaven. Prejudice will be weakened and it will be easier to reach the heart. Isn't that our greatest desire? God, teach me how to reach the heart. And it is only as we come close to them and as we minister to their needs. One way to do this, of course, is by sharing with them the Adventism's four C's. Have you heard this before? Adventism's four C's. You had someone come to you before and say, what do Seventh-day Adventists believe? And you want to start giving that list. Well, we don't go clubbing. We don't do the partying, right? We don't drink alcohol. I don't eat Miss Piggy. And we go through a list of requirements, and, and soon it doesn't sound all that enjoyable after all. What do Adventists believe? How can we share the joys with someone else? Adventists, first and foremost, believe in whom? In Jesus Christ. What do we believe about Christ? He is God. He is the Savior. Absolutely. Why is it so important that people know we believe in Christ? It means we're not part of those cults, right? We do believe in Christ. He is our Savior. Secondarily, we believe in what? The cross. 
We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We believe that because of his death, we can have freedom. We can be that new creation in him. Third, we believe in commandments. We believe thou shalt not. What do we believe about the commandments? Okay, we must follow them. Why should we follow them? Out of love. Out of love for God, they lead to a better life. And I also heard, yes, God's law, they're God's character. God's character revealed through his word. And lastly, we believe that Jesus is going to do what? Come again. Do you realize how radical that is? Often we start going through the motions and planning for the next GYC and how we're going to get there. And forgetting that we believe that one day we're going to look up in that eastern sky and we're going to see our Savior coming. We believe that we don't live for this world alone, but something so much greater is before us. We believe that Jesus is preparing a mansion for us. Do we believe today with heart and soul that Jesus is coming again? What a beautiful message to share. As Adventists, what are the four things we believe in? We believe in Christ. We believe in the cross. We believe that out of love for God, we should keep his commandments. And lastly, we believe that Jesus is coming again. Beautiful, beautiful picture of what Adventism is. Steps to Christ, page 115. It says, Jesus dwelling in you desires to speak to the hearts of those who are not acquainted with him. Jesus in you desires to speak to the hearts of those who are not acquainted with him. If Jesus is within us, you can't shut us up. If Jesus is within us, the craving of our heart is to share his love with others. If that craving is not in our hearts, it's time for us to go to our hotel room to go beside our bed and kneel down to God and say, God, I want to love your people. You've called me to do evangelism, but why don't I have that passion? God, change my heart. God, help me to see as you see. God, give me a love for your people. We're going to be looking tomorrow morning, so I'm going to go through this fairly quickly, at how to give Bible studies to friends. So I'll include that portion there on giving Bible studies to friends. But lastly today, I want to look at keeping the fire burning. How do we keep this own experience fresh in our own hearts and be able to share that with someone else? How many of you here enjoy camping? I'm in great company then. I remember my family, we would go camping every summer uh, multiple times. And one of our favorite things to do in the evening, of course, is to, to light what? Fire getting a nice big campfire going and, and bringing out our gelatin-free marshmallows and our carob or chocolate or whatever it is, right? And sitting by the fire. There's nothing more beautiful than that. What happens, though, if I was to take a coal, a nice hot coal, out of the fire and put it off by itself on a log? Well, uh, true. <laughs> I would burn my hand. Okay. What would happen to the coal? It's going to die out. It's going to lose its heat, is it not? How often is that true in our own lives? 
We come to GYC and there are thousands of people that love Jesus like we do. There are thousands of people that want to do evangelism. But then you take us, that little coal, and you set us out by ourselves, and what can often happen? That passion dies out. That fervor we once had is gone. How do we keep that from happening? How do we stay connected and close to Jesus Christ? You see, we are not called to to warm pews. We are called to be part of a movement. We are called not to go back to our church and, and rejoin that status quo. We are called to change it. We are called to be leaders. You see, if we do not teach people to go, by default, we teach them to sit. If our churches are not taught to go, by default, they are taught to sit. God is teaching us to go. We see that the call is received in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. If you could turn with me there, Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. This is a model that I believe we all need to follow in our own personal experience with Christ. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. We see two components here. It says the word of the God spread, and the number of what multiplied? Disciples. The number of disciples multiplied. You see, they weren't just trying to build up the membership of the church. They were creating disciples. What are disciples called to do? They're going to spread the word. They're going to preach. They're going to minister. They're going to heal. They aren't called to just sit. They are called to be leaders. When the word of God is spread, disciples are made. As J.S. Shaw once said, the difference between uh, convert making and disciple making is crucial. Converts change religions, but disciples change masters. Converts are just changing religions, but disciples are changing masters. They are completely on board for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, if we were alive at the time when the gospel commission was given, when Matthew 28 was told by Jesus Christ, we might have considered it an impossibility. You see, you look out at these 11 disciples. It had been 12, but one recently committed suicide. 11 disciples that were fighting. 11 disciples that are competing to be the greatest. Simon the Zealot hated the Romans. And yet Matthew the tax collector worked for them. 11 men that were going to carry the gospel to the ends of the world. How could that happen? And yet often we look at our churches and we think the same thing. We look at our churches and we say they're dysfunctional. We may look at our church and say it's dead. It can't happen. How is the gospel going to go to my community? It can't. But you see, God could look at this group of 11 and say, when they are filled with my Holy Spirit, this gospel will go to the ends of the world. And that promise is true for us today. 
When our churches are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we come before God and we are pleading with him, Lord, give me a love for souls. Lead me to that ripe fruit. God promises to bring us to the harvest. God promises. God is the one who can fulfill it. I'm looking forward to the day when our work is done. I'm looking forward to the day when we will be in the presence of Christ. When we will not be just converts, but we will be disciple makers, leading others to accept Jesus as their own personal Savior. One other aspect to consider in discipleship making, when Jesus was making disciples, did he keep them off in a corner by themselves for three and a half years? No. He had them do on-the-job training. I want you involved. I want you participating. Be, be um, trained under my guidance. And it's the same for us as we're discipling others. Remember, don't just put them off in a corner and train them for two years. Get them involved in the work. Bring them with you as you give that Bible study. Bring them with you as you share Christ with your family and with your neighborhood. Be a part of that discipleship. Remember, now is the time. Sometimes we look at our church and we think it's been so many years and no change has come. Now is the time. Nothing's been happening. The pastor is involved. Now is the time. Why not start today? Why not get our churches on fire again? Why not find a team that is interested in changing the world for Jesus Christ and committed to fulfilling it? Why not? Now is the time. Galatians 6, 9 reminds us, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In closing, I want to share one story with you of Betty. Betty was an elderly lady that I met when I was knocking on doors offering community services, and it wasn't long before we started Bible studies together. Betty was, again, just such a precious woman. I so enjoy getting to know her and spend time with her at the Bible studies she had lots of questions. And one night, I was driving Betty to the prophecy seminar, and she had brought along a few friends, and they were all talking in the back seat. And, and as we were driving to the prophecy seminar, I remember Betty leaning over to her friend and saying rather loudly, I think this is Seventh-day Adventist. And I just keep driving, heading to the prophecy seminar. That night, I began to ask Betty more about her testimony and about her own experience. And, and she conveyed to me that she had basically been orphaned in and out of foster homes for all of her teenage years. Just bad, bad lifestyle choices. But there was a family that she stayed with for a while as a foster child. And she said this family was so precious to her. No matter how many times she would hurt them and yell at them and, and mess things up. They were still so patient and so loving, and they kept trying to help her. But even still, she ran away. Even still, she turned away from this Seventh-day Adventist family. You see, this happened when she was a teenager. And now, over 60 years later, another Seventh-day Adventist Christian knocks on her door. Another Seventh-day Adventist Christian invites her to a prophecy seminar and by the grace of God gets the privilege of seeing her go down into that watery grave of baptism. 
Imagine the joy and the surprise in those families' eye on the resurrection day when they see Betty. That young girl that was that foster child, that young girl that was in drugs, that young girl that ran away is now in heaven? You see, the prayers that they had prayed for Betty were not in vain. God continued to work in her heart and in her life, and 60 years later, she finally made that decision for Jesus Christ. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. May God give us the grace to continue. May God guide us in the path he'd have us to go. May we reach hearts for his kingdom is my prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, to this end, we want to commit our lives, Lord. Teach us not only to be disciples taught of you, Lord, but also how to make disciples, how to encourage them and nurture them in the path that you have before us. Lord, we thank you for your mercies. We thank you for teaching us. May we truly be faithful to the calling is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the cross in phoenix arizona gyc a supporting ministry of the seventh day adventist church seeks to inspire young people to be bible-based christ-centered and soul-winning christians to download or purchase other resources like this visit us online at www.gycweb.org